Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2015. This is Amy talking about Step 2. Good morning everyone, my name's Amy, I'm an alcoholic. Amazing. Um, It's a bit terrifying but it's a massive privilege to be asked to do this so I hope that this this helps someone. Um, So Step 2 came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. you know, I, I hear a lot in the rooms that the only step I have to have 100% is step one. And um, my experience was, um, you know, for two years in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, due to a lot of things, but predominantly due to my rebelliousness and my defiance and my inability to be taught or told anything, um, I was unable to see the truth about my powerlessness um, and I didn't understand what it meant to be unmanageable. And um, until I'm convinced that I'm powerless and that lack of power is my dilemma, that on my own power, the only thing that I can come up with, um, you know, the very best manifestations, they end up with me drunk um, until I understand that I'm powerless and I need to come to believe that there's something that isn't me that can take me beyond where I've taken myself and I'm not going to get too far in this show. So, um, you know, on the topic of faith, on the topic of spirituality, um, you know, growing up as a young woman, I attended a a school that was sort of very much Church of England, um, we would sing hymns um, in assembly, and um, you know, I was the really arrogant one who'd stand there with you know my lips sealed because I wasn't going to conform. I wasn't going to, you know, have anything to do with um, you know what you guys were trying to brainwash me into thinking. And um, you know, I look back on that, and it's kind of embarrassing today. But um, that was that was where I was at, and that was that was who I was. And you know, even at that stage, you couldn't you couldn't tell me. But at the same time, I was desperately seeking. And, um, you know, I picked up books on, um, you know, paganism, Wicca. Um, I tried to read the Bible once. It didn't really work out. Um, I got about 12 pages in before it was just too dense and heavy and something else took my interest. And um, I was looking for something that could help me be okay with me. And, um, you know, I believe I was unmanageable before I picked up a drink and alcohol was, you know, obviously what treated what treated that spiritual sickness within me. I felt very disconnected from, from myself um, from other people, um, from any concept of good, any experience with the good in the world, even though I believe there was this fundamental idea that there was a bit of good that existed in everyone and probably even maybe me, as much as I hated myself um, at that time. Um, but I couldn't access that because my head was full of white noise. I was full of fear. I was experiencing depression. Um, I was experiencing Social phobia, which my first sponsor pointed out to me, was probably the height of egocentricity, which I didn't like very much. I thought everyone was watching me and, you know, out to get me and talking about me, and um, I just couldn't connect. And, um, you know, I found that, you know, whatever my first drink was, and it's it's obviously really important to identify, um, I don't remember my first drink, but I... um, what I sort of seemed to piece together was the fact that it gave me this sense of ease and comfort and this sense of being just just okay enough with who I was and it gave me that sense of connection I'd craved and longed for and, um, you know, everything was, was, was okay, or so I thought. And, um, you know, the big book talks about the potential female alcoholic and often, you know, we're the real thing um, within a few years and um, that was that was my experience exactly. And um, what I didn't understand was that I was very, very quickly losing the power of choice over whether or not I was going to pick up that first drink. And for someone who took great pride in their intelligence, um, their ability to say, yeah, you know, I've got this, I have got this. I I never had anything, you know, the truth was. Um, I was baffled as to why I always ended up with a drink in my hand. 
and you know I sought you know psychology reference books to try and figure out what was going on with me. Um, I, uh, I sought assistance from counsellors and psychologists who always reassured me, but they never got to the root of, of the problem, which was me, and I understand they couldn't do that because they're not alcoholic and I need to connect with someone who, you know, who drank like me and who thinks like me and who has a solution for me as well. And um, I tried everything I could think of. I tried drinking away from home so my parents wouldn't get angry with me. I tried drinking at home because I was a public nuisance after a while. And, um, you know, I tried outsourcing... Um, my sense of being okay to, you know, the boyfriend at the time or the job or the study or the, or the hobbies or whatever that looked like. And there always came that, that fateful day where that strange mental twist would pop up. And I have really vivid examples that, um, you know, came to me in my step one experience, um, both last time and, and the time before. I'm, I'm from the school of going through the steps annually because the ego rebuilds. And, you know, I need to be reminded that this is about God because it stops being about God and it starts being about me again. And then I'm in a world of trouble, um, so, you know, that thought of a drink would pop up and um, there were times where I had no mental defence against whether or not I'd pick up that first drink and I'd try to remember how bad it was last time or any time. Um, the time I woke up in the Alfred after having had a brain hemorrhage and I was pulling the drip out of my arm to continue drinking in spite of the fact that I'd been, you know, told I nearly died the night before, um, I had to leave and I remember my mum saying to me, Amy, just be honest with me you left to keep drinking, didn't you? You discharged against medical advice to keep drinking, didn't you? And um, I said no, and she knew I was lying, and I knew I was lying, but I couldn't tell her why. And, um, you know, I was in the throes of this disease. So I, I had to see the truth of, um, you know, me being powerless. Um, powerless in the context of not only having no, no control or power of choice over picking up that first drink, but what happened to me when I ingested that first drink. And 99% of the time... Um, it's like my head would shut off and my body would start screaming out for more. And I would do insane, incredible, tragic things to get that next drink. And, you know, the moral decency was thrown out the window. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd come to be it in a, a psychiatric uh, facility or strapped down to a hospital bed, um, wondering what had happened and how could I behave in such a manner. And... Um, you know, what I came to understand about my unmanageability, this, this, this lack of power that I, I started to see, you know, in my experience with step one when I was taken through the work with a sponsor who was able to help my delusion be smashed when I was smashed enough to be teachable. Um, you know, the unmanageability, you know, why I was making such heavy going of life as well. Why was I having trouble with personal relationships? Why was I full of fear? Why was I unhappy? Why was I prone to depression? Why couldn't I find a job? Why couldn't... Why couldn't I find my purpose in this world? And um, it all came back to lack of power. And I had to have an experience with step one sober and I had to have my ego smashed. And um, that was what changed everything for me because um, you know, I came into the rooms off the back of, of my last um, binge, which um, you know, involved the police, it involved a detox, it involved going back into the Melbourne Clinic for the... I don't know, the dozenth time, if that's even a word, um, to come off the stuff. Um, I've forgotten where I was going with that. But anyway, um, I spent those, those two years exhausting, exhausting every other option. I still thought the boyfriend was the solution. I still thought human power was the solution. And I remember there was one occasion where I called seven AA members. And um, it was a good thing I was on, on my way to a meeting because no one picked up. And um, 
you know, humans are human and humans let me down, human power lets me down and I needed to start to find a power by which I could live because, you know, I've, I've come to understand that, you know, my higher power, God, as I, as I choose to call it, is ever-present and um, it's only me that's ever missing um, and I'm, I'm reminded of that a lot uh, by my sponsor and I need to be reminded of that. So um, having seen the truth in step one, um, the question was posed to me, after those, you know, those, those three pertinent ideas, A, that I was alcoholic and I couldn't manage my own life and that was drunk or sober, couldn't control my emotions, I was prey to my emotions, I was at the whim of my thinking, thank you, and um, that probably no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. And, um, you know, like I said, I was looking for solutions in people, I was looking for solutions in my thinking, um, still not understanding my insanity. And... Um, you know, I, I, I would like to be honest about this because, um, you know, my experience with medication was as well that I was, um, I was actually in agony over that for the first two years of my sobriety because, um, you know, I worried about was I doing this right, was I being authentic about it and I, I, I came off of that the first time I had a true experience was step two in consultation with my psychiatrist you know, when I was ready to see the truth about my motivations for being the med on the medication that I was on, because for me that was still a solution. And I don't say that to be controversial, but that is that is my experience and that is my truth. So, I mean, if there's anyone who's who's struggling with that, um, please be honest about it, because um, you know I let myself get into a world of pain about that as well. So, I was able to get serious about this when I was shown that the only options I had left were to put a gun to my head. Um, or drink myself to death because I knew that was, was on its way or to get serious about this 12-step program of recovery. And, um, you know, I had to come to believe there was something that wasn't me that could take, that could take me beyond where I'd taken myself um, for the first 27, 28 years of my life and um, that it always culminated in, in, in self-harm, in drugs, in gambling, in codependency and, um, you know, ultimately drinking alcoholically. That's where all of these things took me every single time. And I have to watch my thinking today. I have to be shown the truth about my thinking today because all roads lead back to picking up a drink if I'm not following this program and, and um, putting in the discipline with the action. But, um, you know, I leaned on my thinking and um, there were times and there are still times where I do, I guess, make a choice to lean on my thinking. Um, but that it was that step one experience that really had me screaming into step two and... and you know, I was I was shown I was shown you know very quickly um, being taken through step one very very thoroughly like I said sober um, to see that I you know I was in a position where I had to come to believe that there was there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity because I'd shown I'd been shown that I was insane where alcohol was concerned and the reality is is I still get restored to sanity around things I become obsessed about today. Um, and, you know, I, I hit my knees about that sometime as well. Um, you know, it's a one-size-fits-all God that helps me with all obsessions and, and with everything in my life today, not just alcoholism, um, when I'm willing to have that happen. And um, my unmanageability prevented me from finding this power on, on my own. And, um, you know, the, the big book tells me how and why I find this power. And I have to follow, you know, that coming to in the second step with... Um, you know, the rest of the, of the program of action, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, there is no other way for me to find that, that power. You know, I identified in step one as a chronic alcoholic of the hopeless variety, and the only thing that was going to work for me was um, a spiritual experience via this 12-step program. And, um, 
you know, I love a good distraction. I let myself get attached to lots of different distractions and, I, you know, to a degree I'd member shop and I'd sponsor shop a little bit. But, um, you know, even today all roads lead back to God and I need to be helped through that process to, to have an experience with the 12 steps, to have an experience with my God because I can listen to everyone else's experiences but that's not going to keep me sober either. I need to have my own experience with it. And um, I was in step one again um, end of March, I think it was, and... Um, you know, it stopped being about God and it started being about me again. And like I said, my ego rebuilt. And um, what I was shown in step two and, you know, everything in God's world I found is perfectly timed always. All, everything is always well in God's world. It's just when I get in the way, you know, my problems are of my own making. Um, I, I was taken to a place after a conversation with a friend. Um, it was sort of, thank you, it was sort of, um, you know posed to me with this idea that all of my problems are of my own making uh are my emotions the problem you know how does this all sort of fit into everything and um I sat in that 16 year old mindset that I sort of described a while back you know yeah I've, I've got this I can figure it out I can run off logic and logic is good it serves its purpose but um, it's not going to serve me well in the spiritual realm and the place I was taken to for a space of about 24 hours was it was like by default my emotions were completely stripped from me and I was sitting in this black and white frame of mind and all of a sudden um, there was no... There, I mean, there was no faith. That faith was... It seemed to be stripped temporarily and I was taken to this place where... It's sort of difficult to describe. That everything was black and white. Everything became a manifestation of self-will and all of a sudden human relationships were worthless. Everything was black and white. Everything was very sort of fundamentalist and and it was a really really strange uncomfortable weird place to be in and I it was exactly at that point where I started to read that that section of the big book and we agnostics where it talks about you know logic is great stuff that you know we liked it and um something about walking along uh the bridge of reason to the the shore of faith and perhaps we've been leaning on reason too heavily the last mile and it was kind of the last straw for me relying on my thinking at that point in time as well and I started to see the truth which was what I was ready to see at that time was without faith I have absolutely nothing without faith I am left without a purpose without faith I'm I kind of have no I don't want to sound dramatic but I kind of have no reason to live um being being sort of disconnected from God for that 24 hours, uh, it was a really, really strange thing. Like, I know God was there, and I'm probably not articulating it as well as I could, but without faith, I saw that I had absolutely nothing. And the big book tells me that faith without works is dead. So, I, you know, I can come to believe, I can make that decision in the third step, but without putting in some action and continuing to work this program of action, I have absolutely nothing, and this needs to be the backbone of, of my life um, Physically, it's easy enough to get to meetings. Physically, it's easy enough to put in the work, but it's a bit harder to let myself do that emotionally. Uh, pain's a great motivator, and it's um, often often what gets me there. I think the beautiful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, and it talks about it in the big book, is the fact that we can choose our own concept of God. Um, like I said, you know, you couldn't tell me what to do. You couldn't tell me what to believe. Um, and this, this program is suggestive. It's not a religious program, although... My understanding is it, it can be if you want it to be. Um, but what I'm, what I'm given through the 12-step program of action, it's really hard to not talk about the rest of the steps and just sort of focus on step two. 
is I'm given these spiritual principles that are very counterintuitive for someone like me to, to live against, but as a result of that, I'm, I'm given a life that gives me that sense of ease and comfort a lot of the time that alcohol gave me, and I had to find some peace of mind. And it's not about being comfortable 24-7, because if, if, if it was about being comfortable, I wouldn't be standing here. Um, I need to be uncomfortable in order to grow and, and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. But, um, you know, God has to be at the forefront. God has to be at the forefront of everything. Otherwise, um, you know, my sobriety is at stake, my sanity is at stake. And this, this show, while I can get distracted, thank you, in the pursuit of serenity, in the pursuit of what I think I want, I heard a, a very short speaker tape. I think the, the, chap, the member's name was Tom Powers. It was from quite some time ago, and he spoke about how this show is all about sanity. And um, I can get lost in the pursuit of serenity. I can get lost in the, in the pursuit of approval. Um, but for me, I, I was an alcoholic who could not stop drinking no matter what I thought I could do, no matter what I thought I could think up, no matter what I tried. And the reality was I was insane. And to have, to have sanity when the thought of a drink um, pops up today from time to time, and for me this is not, not thinking about drinking, this is about... <laughs> being safe and protected and being restored to sanity when those thoughts do pop up. Um, I, I struggled with that a lot, um, particularly in the last sort of year or so, because my disease wants me, wants me separate. It wants me thinking I'm not doing this right. So I think it's important to be honest about, about all of that. And for anyone who's, um, who's struggling with the, with the concept of God, with the idea of God, um, or you know, perhaps you feel your mind is getting in the way, which it very probably is if you're anything like me, um, the big book tells us that the realm of the spirit is broad and roomy, all-inclusive and, and you know, never exclusive to those who earnestly seek. And the way that my disease is, it's one of delusion and disconnection. And what I let myself hear for such a long time, and thank you, in Alcoholics Anonymous is the fact that, oh, you know, Amy, you're, um, you, know, you can never be too dumb for this show, but you can be too smart. Or perhaps it's because you're so smart. And I was kind of taking on other people's agnosticism. But the truth is, or, or their ideas you know, of where I was at or, or what I should be doing, but... What had to happen was I had to, I had to get working with a sponsor who's armed with the facts about this disease and who's armed with a solution, who understands how this disease plays out in my day-to-day life and um, could help me have an experience and help me meet you know, my maker, my God. So I'll just I'll leave it there. Thanks. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting us share.